Hello there. Ooh, this is exciting, isn't it? Ooh, my computer's beeping at me. That's a bit weird. But hello, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Are you good? Are you well? I hope you're well. I'm Hannah. Uh, Hannah May Doherty, to be precise. Oh, I hate saying my full name. It's a good name, though. It rolls off the tongue. Anyway, getting off key. Key, topic, topic. Welcome. This is my podcast. Oh, isn't this exciting? Oh, I'm so excited to welcome you into my humble little abode, my pod cave. My, oh my God. I'm making a really bad first impression, but hello, welcome. I suppose I should tell you who I am, really, shouldn't I? My name's Hannah. I'm from the north of England. I am a creative little bean as I like to call myself. Basically, that just means I like doing all things creative and I want to make a career out of doing it most importantly. Uh, previously on my life, <laughs> I was born uh, in the year 2000. Oh my God. Uh, raised in the North with the farms and the cows and pies and chips. Um, I went to school and I did a lot of theatre and dancing all throughout my life and um, then I went on a foundation course with Rose Bruford and that was very very fun and I've always wanted to pursue theatre and pursue drama and dance more specifically acting in musical theatre because I think that that is a really cool art form and I want to be involved in it and I've always like dreamed about being in it but anyway I would like to pursue theatre and the reason that's the whole reason why I started this podcast is because I've realized over the past year since being on that foundation course I sort of got an insight into what the industry was actually like before slash prior to that I didn't know nout about the industry well it was kind of a bit of a a weird it felt like a weird, magical, like, land far away that had to kind of journey, take a long journey with hobbits towards. But now, <laughs> I realise that it's a lot, not simpler than that. It's not simple at all, but it's, it feels more tangible and more like there. Like, I can almost, I can see it and I can almost grab it, but I can't really. That's why I started this podcast. That's a long way of getting around it. But anyway, that's why I started this podcast because I want to know how you make a career out of being a creative person, basically. Because it's a very unstable, unsteady career. But people do it. I've met people who've done it. And that's what I want. And so I want to work out how the heck you make a career out of being a creative, hence podcast. Over the course of these weeks, I'm going to be talking to some quite interesting creative people who do lots of different creative things, uh, at, and there are lots of different points in their careers. Some of them's just starting out, just graduating, and some of them very well established. I'm starting today with one of the very, very well established ones, in my opinion. Oh, in lots of people's opinions, actually. Her name is Miss Lucia McAvoy. She is a theatre actress up in Scotland. She recently won... I keep saying recently... It was recent. Six months is recent. She won Best Actress in the Scotsman for her performance in Ulster American. And when I did this interview, she was 
in the run of Crocodile Fever at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh during the Festival Fringe. This is how long it's taken me to get this podcast out. Also, I'm sorry about the audio quality. It's a bit rough and ready just because this was recorded in the cafe of the Traverse Theatre. It was fine. We had caf- we had caffeine. All was good. We were not stealing. However, it's very difficult to find a quiet space to record during the Fringe Festival. I'm sorry. Anyway, hope you enjoy this little nugget of wonderfulness. Those are words. My name is Hannah. Here is a podcast. Bye! I'm running on porridge and coffee at the moment. Porridge, 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 coffee, and cookies. That's not bad. You've got your sugar, you've got fibre in there. That's good. A bit of caffeine. And what have you seen? What else have you seen so far? Um, so, it's on mouthpiece again. Okay, great. Because, like, me and Clara and one of her buddies, Uh we saw it at the Soho. Yeah. And then I just was like, I have to go show more people it. So I took my dad along, and then I took one of my friends who's up from Wigan. And she'd never seen any, like, Scottish theatre or anything. And I was just so excited to show her, like, what happens here. Yeah. Because I think it's a lot different to what happens back home or for me home like in Wigan or did you mean in England just or? in England mm. like I don't know there was something when I came up here there's something very different about the theatre scene here and something that's very very it's nice and it's like it I don't know what it is but like whenever I come here to the Traverse it just feels like the right you know you're gonna get good quality stuff yeah you know the writing's gonna be good yeah. you know you're gonna get some you know you're probably gonna go out and be like actually thinking about things and I like that that makes me yeah think I think the Traverse are you know they're they're in that situation where they kind of go out and read plays and see plays and so what you see especially during the festival is like a really carefully curated mm-hmm. bunch of treats you know that yeah. have been picked from the competitions really high you know a, a, a field you know lots of fantastic great plays and and they're very carefully chosen to sit alongside each other and so yeah I mean you, you're usually as you say you're gonna you're not really necessarily come away disappointed and I love going to see children you don't know anything about because yeah. you know that someone has gone we have to put this on and even you know even if one person goes we have to people have to see this even if it's not your cup of tea you can appreciate that yeah, it's yeah, yeah. lots of people's cup so it kind of teaches you something about what an audience likes so you know might see something and go I don't really get why this is pleasing so many people but then that teaches you something about theatre in itself you go okay well it's not to my taste but it's to lots of people's taste you know yeah. so I don't know I liked it's lucky I, I, this is the second year working here did it show last year and it's the loveliest thing about being here is that you get to see most of the shows which is yeah. brilliant you know you can kind of go in on your pass if you're lucky enough if they haven't sold out and so yeah that's been that's been really great just meeting other actors and you know every there's a tiny grubby little green room <laughs> you have to share because you can't get into your dressing room before an hour before the show so you know there's people sitting in the green room with curlers in their hair waiting to get into the dressing room waiting for you to finish so they can get in to get their show on while the crew changes the set around so it's like it's like an airport for plays you know people are just sort of taken off at all points um it's a great building to work in and it's got great history you know I don't and because it's new writing as well yeah you know it's exciting you, you know that if you see it you're probably the, one of the first people to see like the yeah. play yeah mm-hmm. like, do you know how long this theatre has been running for 
I think it used to be over in it wasn't always on this site I'm gonna say the 70s Traverse and there's like a story about the first Traverse show I think it was over near Summer Hall was the, this was the, the first venue and someone actually got stabbed or something in the in the show so it immediately hit the press it's Traverse Theatre <laughs> the exciting new cutting edge new riders theatre where people actually draw blood but um, google that story I'll have a look it at right. it yeah but it does have a rich history. Um, I think it survives on very little funding, um, as most theatres do. But this is their Christmas, you know. The, yeah. the festival is, is when they sell out and when they make a bit of money and they have that kind of has to feed all the gambles that they make in their programming in the rest of the year is getting the hits in for the summer, packing out as much as they can. And I have to say, like, the team here, they're all in the right jobs you know they love what they do and they don't do it for a huge amount of money and so yeah, yeah. it feels like a great place to work I feel really lucky to be back here again uh, doing this crazy end of the show <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was wondering if I could ask you like take you back in time a bit yeah. do you remember what you were like when you were my age how old are you I'm 19 god <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I do remember. Like, I think the most startling thing is very little's changed, you know, <laughs> in terms of how I think and how I feel. And then, of course, obviously, loads of things have changed. Um, so, yeah, when I was 19, I was in my second year in drama school at Trinity, at, Trinity, uh-huh, yeah. at the Samuel Beckett Centre. Um, and I was in a class of 12, I was one of 12 students doing a three-year BA course that's very small 12. it was yeah it was fantastic it was an incredible course it's now the Lear the, the, it's the school that exists there um, in its place but it was the first year of that BA course a little bit like you do in the fact the Rosebury oh, yeah. we were the guinea pigs so I suppose <laughs> they were being very careful about the numbers we got everything thrown at us we had fantastic teachers we had great you know we were in Trinity we were being given a degree, which was the first time acting training was being recognised as a degree within a university. But it was a vocational acting course. You know, we were doing 50, 60 hours a week, dance, movement, voice classes, and it was like a conservatoire training. And it was just brilliant. We, we all kind of felt very lucky to be on the course. It was a diploma. It was a two-year diploma that then turned into a three-year degree course so it wasn't entirely new it was kind of extended but we were the first cohort of first years to go in Um, and I was one of two students who started when I was 18 so the average age was about 27 28 I think of um, other people in the class and when I was your age yeah it was in second year and I didn't I didn't really know what I was getting into you know when I was 18 I think I went through the last few years of school studying I was very academic I wanted to be a doctor I wanted to do medicine I went to a grind school yeah I was I was really clear on the path that I was on and then something happened Uh, I was a teenager I fell in love I went to youth theatre I discovered the Saturday youth Mm theatre class found my tribe of damaged goods (laughs) and you know just some personal things happened around that time with my family life and I went no this isn't right I, w- I want to be an act and actually it was an English teacher who told me about this course in Trinity and applied for me on behalf on my behalf and said you've got an interview on Tuesday at three o'clock or something and I was like what what do you mean 
go to college to be an actor. <laughs> it was like the most bizarre. They thought he was making it up. I had no concept of training. I didn't know anyone in my family who'd ever been trained. I didn't know that you could be trained to be an actor. I had never heard of it. And there isn't a tradition of it really in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he was joking. I was like, what, do you go to college and what, learn how to what, do face paint and juggle? <laughs> like, I really thought it was a joke. So I kind of rocked up at this interview and I'd I had someone in my youth theatre help me through audition speeches I didn't, I didn't apply anywhere else you know I didn't you didn't apply to anywhere else. I didn't know how hard it was I kind of didn't really know what I wanted or what I was doing there but I sort of arrived there did you just like fall into it, I guess well it, like it was kind of guided. I was nudged a little bit nudged. by people who I now recognise saw something in me in the same way that I would recognise talent in younger people you know yeah. and I was a bit in a, in a bit of a wayward place my parents were just splitting up and I had fallen in love with the guy you know I was in yeah, a kind of a yeah. messy teenage place and yet I had to make these really important decisions so I was kind of gently nosed into this room and I had my speeches and I, I loved preparing them that was great fun so I enjoyed performing them at the audition and then I got to the final round and then I was challenged in my interview and I remember the man who now runs the acting course in Central, Pete McAllister was our acting teacher and he was very stern very stony, cold faced, you know putting in the front of, it was just really odd to me this man would be so obviously rude and not warm, I was used to youth theatre people telling me I was great all the time, so he was like we had to read poetry as part of the final round of this day and come in and just sort of sight read this poem and mm. I sort of came in and I was like I didn't thought it was a trick like yeah I can read here's, here's a poem I uh, read it mm. I didn't I thought there was some trick to it and he went do you think that you've put any variation or colour or feeling or any thought into that poem at all and I was like, I thought he was just being a dick it's like <laughs> what I, yeah, yeah. I mean you obviously don't I, I was really cross I kind of stood up and I threw my toys out the bath you know mm-hmm. I went yeah I, F you and I just I walked out I thought he was being an asshole mm-hmm. I didn't understand that he was like you don't know why you're here do you <laughs> so I left and I went oh right that's not for me but I felt in my gut that I'd let something go that I didn't quite know I wanted and then a couple of weeks later I had a phone call from him I remember like a landline and I'm old you oh know God. and I'd been doing my exams my leaving cert or you know A level equivalent in the summer and I'd sort of had the interview in May and so this was June it was about a month later and mum said oh you've found someone it's Peter McAllister on the phone for you my heart went cold <laughs> and I took the phone off her and hello and his voice just made me feel it still does you know I just was like this man what does he want and he went hello we've had someone decline a place and we want to give you a chance you're on our reserve list and then I went right mm-hmm. I want this I'm going to get this I, you know I had enough of a taste of it in the audition to know that it was what I wanted and so I went and I met him and Andrea Ainsworth who's now close friend and she's the voice coach at the Abbey in Dublin and Andrea and Peter re-auditioned me and they said, you know, you've got to toughen up. You, you've got to be careful because we give, we criticise you, and you know, you get upset and you, you get, you take it personally. But mm. we're going to criticise you on this course. We're, we're going to make personal comments about the way you present yourself, and you've got to try and hear that in a different way. But I'd never been spoken to like that. That had never been part of my learning, mm-hmm. you know. 
In school, you get it right or you get it wrong. At home, you're loved and encouraged. In youth theatre, you're loved and encouraged and there's room for everyone. And I was used to being encouraged and singled out for being good. And So for them to be kind of critical, I just thought they were being assholes. <laughs> like, I mean, it really was so naive. So naive. Um, and I remember saying to them, well, look, I don't want you to put me on a course if you don't think I'm ready. So yeah. they're like, okay, leave the room and we'll make a decision. And then they made the decision and they offered me a place. And I, th- I really think it was only well into the end of the first term that I knew I was in the right place because I couldn't imagine what it was I couldn't imagine what training was so it was purely kind of by instinct that I was smelling the route out you know and I think it's much easier now because there's there are more foundation courses yeah. there's there are better um, kind of pre-drama school courses with better teachers I think and, and I think in the UK there's m- much more of a tradition of training young people now get a sense of what it might be to give in to three years of training whereas then I, I didn't know but I was very glad once I was there yeah. I knew when I was there I was in the right place you know mm-hmm. but it was lucky it was lucky that I ended up there um, in lots of ways but I didn't have any other options <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, think, I think it's interesting the thing you said about foundation courses because like I feel like maybe I am of one of the first generations where foundation courses uh, well maybe no maybe I'm a bit wrong like maybe my generation and like a little bit before me like is when like foundation courses are actually becoming more like popular I guess mm. or like like more of a like it I, I sometimes still feel there is a bit of a stigma about going on a foundation it's like oh you weren't ready to go to a BA and I don't think there's anything like wrong with that at all I think like you're ready when you're ready mm-hmm. and I think there are really like good way of like easing you in to what it might be like so I just think it's interesting that you were saying that you didn't feel ready when you're thrown in the deep end. Yeah and I think if if there had been a foundation course there I think that probably would have been wise for them to point me in that direction you know but there 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 wasn't at that time. I think as well I think foundation courses are really useful for the people who drop out you know for the people who in that year go oh this this isn't for me Mm -hmm. you've you're, you're making much you're taking much less of a risk with your money and your time if you figure that out after four months of a foundation course rather than figuring that out when you move to London exactly. for a three year course or you know say in Ireland if you've got a chance at free third level education if you if you spend that on your on a course that you figure out isn't right for you once you're in it like a foundation course is a really good indication if you feel like that's for you and you excel in that course it's a pretty good chance that you're going to do well and enjoy drama school Mm -hmm. or musical theatre training or any kind of vocational training it's hard to get a sense of what that is until you do it but I think a foundation course is a really good thing to put people off Mm -hmm. if it's not for them you know so moving on to the idea of foundation courses segue whoop Mm -hmm. Um, you taught me uh-huh. at a Rose Roof Foundation course, you and um, Pete, your partner. Um, I was wondering, like, uh, I'm trying to phrase this. This is one of the things I have learned on the foundation course, is that I'm really bad at getting what's in my head out of my mouth, <laughs> or putting what's in my head into my acting. That's something that I've learned. Thank you for telling me that. I remember. I don't know why this has popped into my head. There was one moment, we were in a class, and it was... Uh, it was when you were doing actioning with us mm-hmm. and we were stood in two lines mm-hmm. and it was the one where um, you were like um, you have to do 
uh, plain action to the other person and if they feel it they sit down and I remember I sat, stood next to Isadora in front of Isadora and she was just um, I, I, I don't remember what it was but like I couldn't do it and I got really frustrated at her and then I, like I did it and then she sat down and I went thank you and screamed at her I was just like I'm so like and then you were like and then you explained to me what I'd done wrong and I was just like okay thank you Lucy Ann but like uh, I don't know why that popped into my head then but it just did that was a little tangent for you well look I'll say that you're getting better at articulating it than I'm not good at and I don't think you get anything wrong. I think that's something that is the hardest thing to undo yeah. with with young people coming from school is the idea that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. That's that, something, yeah. And and it's a real shift in thinking that you can you can certainly run into roadblocks with things or you can misunderstand things, but there really isn't a wrong way. No. There's there's a way that's clear. There's a way that gets you towards where you want to go there's a way that invites a response from your acting partner that you never expected mm-hmm. so they're all just ways you know um, and it's so just I wouldn't I, I hope you yeah I wouldn't <laughs> like to be that acting teacher who, who's no, no. like that yeah because I think um, that's the that's one of the biggest challenges is um, convincing young people that, I'm, that there, it really isn't a trick when you say there's no right or wrong way mm-hmm. It's, yeah, there, there really isn't. It, it's just about usually telling a story clearly and having the options to do that in all the ways that you're able to do that and opening those doors so that you're able to do that. So yeah. facilitating your, ex- your expressing yourself rather than going, this is how you This do is it. how it's meant uh-huh. to be done, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, is, what's like the most exciting thing for you about teaching young people? Is it when those doors open? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a privilege to, to be, you know, opposite someone. Because I remember those moments with my teachers when things land and you go, and I remember them like they're yesterday. And you relive, you relive them every time you use that on stage or you recall that skill or... Because it's like a glass ceiling break somewhere within you. And to be stood opposite or in the room of that person for those little light bulbs to go on is a, is a total privilege. Um, and so that's, that's the exciting stuff. And I learn stuff. I learn stuff all the time because I have to challenge and remember and relearn what I think I might already know. Mm-hmm. And then and relearn it you know, through someone's eyes who, go, who looks at me and goes, I don't understand, I'm frustrated, I can't see why you would want me to do this. Then I have to really challenge myself and go, well, okay, where, where are the blocks? Where are the things that are in the way of that person getting to where I want them to be in terms of a, directing a moment or understanding an impulse that a character might have? And so you have to sort of sit in the driver's seat with that actor. And for me, that's acting, you know, and that's what I love. So to sit in the driver's seat with that young actor and go, okay, let's see what our options are here. That's all the things I love about rehearsals. So it's enjoyable, but it's also a total privilege to to think, oh, I might be for those people what all those acting teachers were for me when I was in training, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, I don't know if it's the same for younger people, but for me... I was probably too young to train. I left when I was 21. A lot of pennies didn't really drop with me until I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. like 25, 26. I went, 
Oh, that's why. <laughs> Lily Susan Todd said that thing in the second term in third year. Now I get that. And so I think it's okay not to get it when mm-hmm. you're doing it, but to, but to do it anyway, to, to allow it to enter into your muscle memory and to trust that there is a purpose, but then to move on and go, oh, I didn't really get that. Because it might not just be the right time for that penny to drop for you. It might be a job that you do in five years' time where you go, ah, right, now I see, okay. That's what she was banging on about. Mm-hmm. So you hope that the stuff that you teach on any level of training is is something that feeds you for your career rather than gets you to a place oh, where you should be by the time you leave. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I know what you mean. Or like I've even found that cheesy as it sounds like the stuff that I've learned in the drama classes are just like lessons that I'm now just involving into my life not even outside of like the thing my career of acting like the thing that the yeah. idea that there's no right and wrong yeah and that's something that's been actually quite difficult for me to like get a grasp of and like it's you, you kind of lose your way and then you find your way again and it's like I'm in that sort of point of like a bit of buzz but I'm searching my way through it slowly yeah and just trying to place everything back together and find not a right way but a way that works for me mm-hmm. I guess yeah, and that's the best all of us can hope to do mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm pretty much still in the fuzz as well. <laughs> but you get to know the fuzz a bit better and you get to know your options a, a bit more and, and trust things. And and then I suppose, like you're doing now, recognising that there are struggles that are shared mm-hmm. by lots of people at all different stages of, of this career as there are in every career yeah. but I suppose you can feel less alone when you realise okay I'm not the first person to think this or feel this or struggle with this or mm-hmm. have this insecurity um, or feel angry and not know why I'm angry about a speech that yeah. I can't quite get my head around I know what you know? Mean. or you get, like, you get so frustrated about things and I, I, I texted you like a couple of months ago uh-huh. saying do you ever just feel like you forget how to act <laughs> it's the most stupid thing and it's the only time that I've ever come across it is that I just like it's like this thing that you once like completely just like took over your whole yeah. life and it was the thing that like yeah. gave you release now just puts you into a place of stress and that's yeah. horrible yeah but you but, know I think it's a really good thing it's a really good thing that you can feel vulnerable and go I don't know how to do this you know the bravest people say I don't know mm-hmm people who have less confidence go I know exactly what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing and I do know what I'm doing well sometimes we don't know what we're doing how can we know until we decide with other people or we we figure it out the actor I'm working with at the moment Lisa Lisa Hogg you know (laughs) you forget you don't you feel like you don't know how to act as soon as you get up from page up onto the floor you feel like an idiot you feel like I've never not only not acted but I've never stood in a room <laughs> with arms I, it's I've the never arms. Oh, it's I the don't arms. it's horrible and it's exposing and you feel vulnerable and you feel like you want to get sick at yourself and you're, it's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> but you have to go through that bit before you get to the bit where you go okay now I, I I'm asking the questions that leads me to now I know why I'm here and how I feel about this room and how I felt when I entered it and and how I feel about the other person who's in it and then all of those things like little anchors hook you to the reality of that situation but when you haven't asked those questions you don't you're just sort of floating in your body and feeling (laughs) just awkward every single time And and I think if you don't feel that you know everyone's different but 
I I I think it's probably you know if you if you if you walk into the first day of rehearsal, I know exactly what I'm doing. Well, maybe it's a one-person show, but I don't think you should necessarily know exactly what you're doing on the first day of anything. anything yeah. yeah, because um, it's about creating it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. in the room with others. And, yeah, and then finding it while you're there, I guess. Um, I wondered. I think that something that I think is really interesting, and I'd I never even thought about this before, was the fact. Well, okay, articulation. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> when um, I was saying this to you before, but when I first started on the foundation, I kind of thought that like the business, show business, whatever it is, it kind of seemed like this bit of a weird sort of magical like thing that I had to like intrude and now I see it much more as a career and a business and like it's something that you do but it's not everything and it's not a whole like part of you leading on to this um, I just think it's really interesting what you and your partner do and the fact that you both are actors mm -hmm. but you don't just act Pete does a lot of directing you both do a lot of drama facilitation and teaching and I think it's really interesting the way like you tag team this mm. almost so like when you're in a show Pete will do more teaching and directing mm. and when he's in a show you will teach and direct mm -hmm. and I think that works really well because it means that you're able to also have that sort of family life as yeah. well yeah. could you talk a little bit about that and yeah. about how how did that like come about mm -hmm. and like making it up as we go along really yeah. um, so obviously we're parents as well so having that family life is really important I think the thing about doing a play um, more so even than TV and film because that could be quite bitty in terms of time is that it's, it's kind of all consuming for the time that you do the rehearsals anyway mm. so if you're lucky you've got four or five weeks of rehearsals and in that time often it's it's not at home you know my, even in Edinburgh we live in Glasgow it, it requires travelling for mm -hmm. you know four hours a day two hours there two hours back rehearsal so you're kind of taken over by a show or if you do a Christmas show you, you know mm -hmm. it's all consuming in terms of the time school shows afternoon matinees la 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 so it would be really tough for us in terms of the needs of the kids to both be consumed not only just because of the time commitment but the emotional commitment and your headspace and everything with with two plays it hasn't it's kind of it happened a couple of times where we've gone oh I'm going to step back from that job because you've got this job and but we've managed to negotiate it so far Touchwood without too much you know we don't need to talk about it very much it sort of happens that things fall and we will go for something because well I know I, I want to do more teaching here because you're not actually in the city mm -hmm. you're in London doing something or you're on tour doing something so I need to have local work I need to have work that's you know teaching in Glasgow or Edinburgh that's easy enough to kind of to manage we we both want to and need to continue to work um, and it's important to think for the kids to see that we both take a lead on that at different times um, and we're both very supportive of the other's work so I think if there was a job where I felt and I knew that it was really important for Pete to do that job that I get it I get it because I'm an actor and I, I, I get why that job might be important so we don't need to talk too much about the fact that I will step down at that point and similarly you know Pete's 
as supportive to me if there's a job that we both feel that I really need to do. I did a long tour of Curious Incident and that was a big ask on the family. You know, I was away on tour for about five months and the kids came out in school holidays. They came at Easter, they came in the summer. But I, I went home my weekends were Sunday to Tuesday. And that was tough, you know, they're lit, they're, they were young, so five and seven. Um, but Pete didn't work in that time that I was away. Financially, we could afford that because of the job that I was doing, but also emotionally, we knew that kids, if they didn't have me for a lot of the time, they really needed one of us to be on the ground, to be yeah. there. So you, you just negotiated. And because this job is constantly and ever-changing, you can't see around the corner. It's like driving in the dark and you can't see around the corner. And, the, and it's scary. I am getting better at dealing with it, but it is a big stress for for anyone. And I think for people who like to control things, who like <laughs> to you know plan things, it's really challenging yeah. to not be able to book a holiday because I literally don't know what our work is going to be in in next Easter or next month. You know, hopefully there will be some. You kind of that's the bottom line hope, but then you also want to have a bit of time off. Best way to get a job is to book a holiday, then you'll get a job <laughs> that lands in that two weeks, you know. So, there are definitely sacrifices that your whole family have to make if the two of you are in this game. And I feel a bit guilty about that, but then if I didn't feel guilty about that as a parent, I'd feel guilty about something else, you yeah. know. But that that's a challenge. The kids completely go with it and accept it it's all they've ever known you know mummy goes and does shows daddy does shows mummy's home daddy's home and I love that sometimes I'm with them and they go daddy I mean mummy you know <laughs> we're completely interchanged for them they've not had the the relationship of a primary carer and a secondary carer like lots of families have yeah. um, and lots of families do what we do as well um but I suppose, yeah, my answer to your question is, I don't know how we do it. It wrecks my head. We have a shared calendar, you know, and we're constantly, if I have a, a day where I need to be some, I'll put it on the family calendar. If Pete needs to have a meeting, he'll look, and if I've already got a meeting there yet. So there's a lot of planning. It's not easy, but it's, I, I think, um, I think the idea of something really regular or full-time, would be hard for us to manage too because suddenly knowing what you're doing for years knowing that your holidays are for two weeks next July I'd find that quite claustrophobic as well no you know yeah I so. feel that because I've come after after I came out of the course I've just kind of been like going around doing my own things and I recently just got a normal sort of like a job which it isn't like I'm going to work this day but it's more like you work between these hours and these hours yeah. and even having that just like having something to tie me back to home is kind of just a bit like mm. I'm not sure whether I, I enjoy that just having like that like I like to sort of float around and be able to like go go to this place and then go to this place and go visit my dad and then go visit my mum and then go visit my friends and see like just have that sort of uppy downy because I, I sort of it's nice to have a base yeah but it's also nice just to kind of be around be all yeah. over the place 
and not really have. I think at different times in your life you can be braver about stuff, you know, and you can enjoy freedom and you can enjoy routine and you can find freedom within routine. And I think for me, like, I really enjoy that the kids are in school now yeah. because we have weekends that mean something, <laughs> you know, when you're working all hours and different times of the day, the weekends are kind of meaningless. Sunday's often, you know, your day off or Saturday you'll have two shows and then, you know, they don't mean much. Whereas now, school holidays weekends we are tied down to the kids school and I quite enjoy that yeah. because it gives some shape to the madness you know, <laughs> know <what> you <laughs> yeah, that we have to kind of adhere to um, but yeah that's I don't know it's, it's all the it's all a bit mad. It is. <laughs> you were saying, um, I remember you said a couple of months ago that you thought that one of your, your daughter played Mary or something in oh, the nativity. Yeah, Martha, yeah. And yeah. you think that she might actually go into yeah, acting. What are your thoughts on that? There's just a thing. There's like, um, I don't know, sometimes I think of it like some kind of alien movie, yeah. you know. There used to be a thing on TV when I was a kid called V and people looked like normal people but their skin, if they peeled back slightly, it was green and you knew they were an alien. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that about actors. like Especially in the festival, you're walking around Edinburgh, you just know, yeah, you, you, know. you go, you know. that's an actor, that's an actor. It's like there's something in them that's just, you can smell it. <laughs> and I smell it in Martha. <laughs> I'd rather not, you know, I'd rather, obviously she had, she was really content working in the bank or really content being a high-flying lawyer, you know, because it, it's full of challenges. But um, there's, there's, some, there's something in her there's that I think, yeah, and yeah. Pete and I agree on it, you know. And I think Grace could be as well and she might surprise us and she might be actor and Martha might be academic and, you know, your kids will always surprise you. And, but, yeah, I don't know that I would want her to know that I think this ever. <laughs> But I think she's an actor. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose you're in sort of the best possible position because you have two amazing actor, director, facilitators as your parents. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Is that it? I don't. Know. Who knows? I have all that to do. You know. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, she's seven. I'll let like, her. Yeah. Just. <laughs> you know? We can leave that for yeah. a little bit longer. But but it's it is interesting. You know, we kind of ask them what you're going to be. I'm going to be a horse person, and I'm going to. I'm going to be a dancer. Great, brilliant. Do whatever you want to do. I think if she said, oh, I'm going to be a theatre actor, I go, no, no don't. Stop. Think about this. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be a space command. Yeah, brilliant. Do that. Great. Uh, Maybe you'll yeah. get some money out of that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Be a footballer. <laughs> do you remember what it was like for you coming out of training? Yeah, I do. Was yeah. it scary for you or was it like... Uh, at what point was it? I think towards the end of my third year, there was a new play by an Irish writer called Frank McGuinness, and they needed a young actor to who could do a Northern Irish accent. My parents are from Northern Ireland. Who could play like a 17, 18-year-old, but it was a really good part. She was the maid in the house called Dolly West Kitchen, but it was a smashing part. And I remember... Um, I didn't have an agent at the time, but an agent phoned my house again, landline, in my parents' room, and I'm sitting on their bed and there's like some agents on the phone because she heard you could do a Northern Irish accent, she thinks she'd be right for this part, and it was in the Abbey, it was in the National Theatre in Ireland. It was big deal stuff, like butterflies and tummy stuff. And then a director I'd worked with in youth theatre, um, I was talking to him about it, and he, he said, look, I hear they're talking to you about Dolly West Kitchen, and 
you can do a Northern Irish accent. I said, yeah, my parents are from Northern Ireland. He was like, just tell them you're from Northern Ireland. Just go for it. And my voice teacher in the Abbey, um, sorry, my voice teacher in, in Trinity was is also the voice teacher in the Abbey. So she was able to kind of put me forward for it. And anyway, I auditioned for that and I got that. So my first job out of drama school was straight onto the national stage in a new premiere by one of Ireland's most famous writers in a fucking great part as well so like I was given a gift it went to the Old Vic for four months so did London transfer so I you know at 21 I had a brilliant springboard it was it was great but I remember really clearly going into the student bar you know and everybody knows everybody and uh, stretch the barman going here now Luciana here you're in the Abbey there's no going down from there and an untruer word was never spoken because there's no linear progression in this career. Yeah. You don't start somewhere good and go better and go higher like you do in every other career. There's no, there's just no ladder. You know, it goes up and down and round a corner and in a pit and on a mountain and you don't know what's around the corner. And sure, your experience does count for something and a CV can be built over time. But you just can't take anything for granted. So, you know, although now I would say to my 21-year-old self, don't worry, it'll be fine, things will come. I finished that job in London. It was so exciting. It was in the Abbey, it was a big hit. Transferred to the Old Vic, big hit in London, there four months. Then I came back to Dublin, living with my mum and dad, or my mum at the time. And... I started waiting for my agent to phone. I wasn't earning anything. There was an abyss of space in front of me and I didn't know when it was going to end. Other friends were getting really exciting jobs. I wasn't being included in things that people were being seen for and all the insecurities that had just been delayed just came pouring in. Um, and I was working as a care worker, so I was doing night shifts in a care home, um, which I really loved, actually. I really enjoyed doing that, and that was something I did from college and then after for a number of years. Um, but I didn't know when it was going to end, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing about being an actor out of work. If someone can say to you, look, it's going to be two years, so distract yourself. Go and learn a language, get your head down, go travelling. You see, the hardest thing about being out of work is, is, is not knowing when that time is going to end. So if someone was to say, you've got a certain amount of time, you've got two years and then you're going to get a job, then you can spend that two years having a baby or going on holiday or, you know, doing, making the most of that time. The difficult thing is just is not knowing when it'll end. It will end, but you don't know when it'll end. So you're constantly in this state of anxiety. You can be, if you're not managing it, in a constant state of anxiety and uncertainty. Um, and I, I can't say that I know what the answer is to that, other than don't stop living. Yeah. You know, if you if you stop living and start waiting, it's not going to be good for you better to have too many options on the table and be wrecking your head going oh god I've just signed up to do this course and now I've got this job well that's great choose between the course and the job you've got choices and you'll know that the thing you're doing you're doing because you're choosing it rather than being stagnant doing something because you're passing the time don't pass the time live your life and the acting work you will make space for it if it's the right thing for you to do if you do something else and you start to really enjoy that other thing and you go, God, I'm, I love being a care worker. I'm going to 
I'm going to do a qualification. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to train to be a nurse. And if you get drawn into that and an acting job comes along and you go, do you know what? This acting job doesn't mean that much to me anymore because I'm loving where I'm working and I really want to pursue this and I'm, I'm going to train to be a nurse. Then great, you go and live your life and you be a nurse. But if you're working in a job that you hate, that you resent because you're just passing the time, then you're never going to choose acting you're gonna just do it because you think you can't do anything else and the thing is you know you can do loads of things people the, the magical thinking that exists around acting is not useful I'm meant to be an actor I can only do this it's meant to be it's not useful it's not healthy of course you can be an actor but you can be loads of other things and sometimes the other things are better for you at that period of time in your life and I trained to be a teacher. I'm a qualified secondary school teacher because when I was 29 to 31, that was right for me to do that. I don't want to teach in a secondary school. I, I At the moment, that's not what I want to do. But whilst I'm an actor, and now kind of 10 years after that, whilst I'm an actor, I really am glad that I did that teaching qualification because I'm a more confident teacher in the context that I teach, third level education, you know, facilitation and all that stuff. So that would be my advice in terms of how to deal with the uncertainty is just continue to join in and live it rather than wait for it um, but I certainly had a fair share of not knowing what was around the corner um, not straight out of drama school but you know in my 20s as your casting bracket changes as well yeah. you know and that can be confusing tough. it can yeah. be confusing also like obviously I'm at a different point to where you were at 21 or even at like 18 but like trying to work out what they see you as like what your casting mm. type is what you will be seen as like I wonder yeah I don't think it matters in terms of character no. really uh, so much you know unless you're presenting a really specific uh, you know you wear loads of makeup and you're kind of really gothy and you think yeah. oh, well maybe she's not right for this part you know <laughs> but I think in terms of it's just in terms of your age really um, life experience stuff you know you're not really going to be playing Lady M when you're 22 you know mm. it's more that kind of stuff yeah. and also things are more exciting now than they were when I was leaving school because more plays are being written by women for women mm -hmm. and with women in mind as protagonists you know when when I was leaving drama school and we would talk about casting, we would always talk about the woman in relation to the man. And it's not completely changed, but you're always, you're someone's girlfriend. Yeah. So you're someone's girl, it used to be, for me, you're someone's girlfriend, 18 to 26. And then, like, God, I mean, I was 25 when I did some telly and I was someone's mother. So I was someone's like I was twenty five and suddenly I had a nine year old kid. So I went you went from ingenue to mother to a nine year old within a month of my life. You know, there was nothing in between. There was nothing in between. There was no space for you to be the lead, the protagonist, the Hamlet, the. <laughs> the the peer gint the, the 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 person who carries the story mm. you exist in relation to the person that carries the story so you're either their girlfriend their wife or their mother mm -hmm. so you jump from being the young to their mother or their child you know now I'm happy to say there's a there are some glorious plays being written for by women um, and by men for women, you know yeah. that that are accepting that God. We've got interesting stories. 
we're interesting because we have predicaments and drama and problems and conundrums to deal with that are worth telling that aren't in relation to our relationship with another or a man you know Um, so I I think that that casting bracket thing has hopefully changed a little bit I think I I think it has like the the past three shows I've seen you in I saw you play Macbeth yeah I saw you play uh, Thingy in Ulster American Uh which is a very strong female and then I saw you in this today Crocodile Fever which is like I I saw one of the reviews Tarantino for feminists Mm. love that like do you do you find that you seek out that sort of work or does it just kind of like come to you or I think, what? I think there's something in the air at the moment, you know. I think there's there's a lot of smash the patriarchy rightfully. There's, there's a boil that's being burst right mm-hmm. now and I feel really lucky to be at an age that feels, in a time that feels right to play those parts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I did kind of worry I was walking between Central and and Queen Street yesterday and I was like oh my god I kind of tracked back the last five jobs I've done I've killed everyone (laughs) (laughs) or at least someone so like oh spoiler alert but you know there's this show um it's it's a bit bloody messy yeah there's Ulster Uh, that's yeah okay so that it Macbeth Macbeth. Mm -hmm. so there's that and then before that, there was uh, a play called The Numbered. The director, Pat Kiernan, a fantastic director I've worked with a couple of times in, in Cork in Ireland, he changed the lead male character to a female and allowed me to play the lead. Um, and the play was going along nicely and we were rehearsing away, but the ending just wasn't. The Numbered is a play that was written in the 50s and... Um, it's a really interesting piece, but we were kind of reframing it as site-specific play. And we decided quite late on in rehearsals, and I have to admit, I think it was my idea, that I shoot the guy at the end. So I sh- so that's another one. That's that's the fi- Yeah, so that's five shows. And then even the Francis Poet play I did before that. Yeah, so there's been a lot of murder and mayhem. I'm constantly covered in blood. I can't remember a show that I've done where I haven't had to wash blood off me at the end of it. But I think that is a sign of the times of playwrights and audiences having a hunger for women saying a fucking enough is enough yeah you know and and to, to be able to express that and play that is glorious and i'm loving it and it's great but i think we're going to move through that we yeah. need to move through that stage <laughs> past the murder yeah i think i am really genuinely i'm looking forward to moving through that stage to a point where it's not an issue yeah to be Male, female, they, he, she. Yeah. But it's the character, and who the character is played by is the person, not the gender mm-hmm. or the the age. Or and I, and I hope that's where we're moving yeah. to. But there is a wall of blood to go through. There seems <laughs> <laughs> before we get oh, there. I am very grateful. I guess that I was brought up in this. Well, yeah. that I'm alive in this era. Like people always say like the cliche thing of like oh if you could be in any other era other than the day where you'd be on like I, I want to be in this era because like things are they're, they're, okay things are bad but things are alright oh, than they would have been like a hundred years ago like I could be dead of, like by this point a hundred years ago or I could be working in the army a hundred years ago now at this point like I'm quite comfortably living as kind of pursuing what I want and I guess more on the acting side of things I can I feel like these characters 
like that were traditionally played by males are more open to me like why can't I play Hamlet one day why can't I play Macbeth one day why can't I like take like Clara who's one of the girls who was on the foundation course did um, a really great piece from Mouthpiece which is a play that was here at the Trav and she played Debbie or Declan as it was originally and like the words themselves it like it doesn't matter whether it's played by a guy or a girl it's just it's the words and it means something to her and it works and it's just, yeah I'm very excited that those barriers are kind of coming down a bit they are yeah they're down they're gone they're gone yeah they really are they're gone yeah I mean when one of the speeches that I used to audition for drama school 20 years ago was the Queen Mab speech the Mercutio oh, speech yeah, I've only yeah. ever played male Shakespeare characters really <laughs> yeah sorry um, they're gone mm. they really are you know um, in, in terms of how people identify themselves with their gender and their sex they're gone yeah you know and playwrights have caught up and are leading the way with that audiences are caught up with that I think the only people standing in the way of that are how we see ourselves and what we think of ourselves and our own limitations you know like can I do you think I yeah of Of course course. (laughs) why not there's no reason why not Um, as long as the story is being told and it's clear you know as you said there's no reason in the story why that character couldn't be is why I suggested to Clara she took that because there's no reason why not Um. And with that, with with those kind of goalposts gone, it it's it is it's open. It's open for everyone. But I think the thing that we still need to do, as women, um, or anyone who feels like they haven't been given as much of a voice, or there aren't those plays that speak to them, is write them, yeah. write them, write those stories. Don't yeah. wait for them to be written. Write them, make them. You know, and I say that with a a guilt hanging over my own head that I'm not a writer or at least I haven't written yet mm-hmm. um, and it's something I'd love to do and I dabble with but I haven't been brave enough but you know that that's my own particular challenge to myself is to go well you do it then um, but that's something I'd always say to younger people is that you know you've got the time the energy the imagination the world is yours write the stories don't wait to be accepted don't wait to you know, for someone else, older women you. and men to write them for you, write them now because you know your story is not ours. You're coming into the world at a different time, and, and like it is the best time to be alive. It's so I think so much that's wrong with the world, and so much to get depressed about. But there's also so much to celebrate, and there's so much enjoy. good. Yeah, absolutely. And the community, you know, the theatre community is great here. It isn't doggy dog it isn't that it, it isn't like of course it's competitive because there's very little money and there's lots of people who want to do it so not everybody can work but in terms of the support like nobody you don't compete directly with other actors for jobs it's not up to you do you know what I mean yeah. I wish the best for all the actors I know and I know they wish the best for me and there's, the support feels genuine Um it's tough that there isn't more funding in the arts that's really tough and that mm. seems that's that's been cut all the time but it's not going anywhere no you know and theatre is not going anywhere even though there are so many other ways of telling stories now theatre still does something that nothing else can do so yeah. not worried about that going away <laughs> just now <laughs> but yeah write oh. the stories thank you thank you for speaking to me
Well, that was inspirational, wasn't it? Oh, how lovely, lovely. Um, just food for thought. While I was uh, editing this, I was listening back to what I was saying a couple of months ago, and I was just there were certain bits where I was just like, "Why did I say that? Why did I do that?" But then again, it's it's just a learning experience, isn't it? And I heard Lucy Ann being teacher voice. She wears lots of different hats, Lucy Ann. Not like literally. I've never seen Lucy Ann wear a hat. Anyway, doesn't matter. But <laughs> I can see her putting her teacher hat back on and being like, yes, I am teacher Lucianne now, and now I'm mummy Lucianne, and now I'm actor Lucianne, and now. This, basically, I'm sounding like Lucianne has multiple personality disorder, but she does not. She's very good. Anyway, I'm rambling. Need to stop. Communication, Hannah. Focus. What was I even trying to say? Oh, if you like the show, I have an Instagram. <laughs> what? Self-plug. Not self-plug. We have an Instagram for the show. It's at Let's Talk Show Business. We also have a Twitter, but I hate Twitter. That is also at Let's Talk Show Business. You won't see anything on there. Um, I have an Instagram. It's Hannah Madocherty. Follow me for top quality me looking cute in the same outfit. Um... Is there anything else I need to say? Come back again next week. We'll have another interesting chat with interesting theatre folk. See you next time. Bye-bye. Love you, bye. Oh, I can't steal that. That's Adam and Joe. I'll think of something by next week.